On the other side of Texas, history has its place. On the other side, on the other side of Texas, history has its place. On the other side of Texas, justice rules the case. They don't like it, they don't love it. They say we're all wrong, but on the other side of Texas halls. We roll along. We roll along. I can't sing it like Wesson Guitar Taylor does, but glad that you're tuning in right here on the other side. We bring you all of the latest as we do roll along. I'm your host, Jay West Texas Leeson, the most listened to platform in West Texas. Glad that you're listening by podcast or on air as we broadcast live, that you're reading as you go along. Um, this will be my introductory weekend in the Lubbock Avalanche Journal and the Amarillo Globe News. And uh, glad for you to be reading and sharing that with your friends as well. Um, we are broadcasting from the Racer Car Wash Studios. Racer Car Wash voted Lubbock's best wash for five years running. Stop into one of five convenient locations across Hub City. For the best wash around, guaranteed, racerwash.com. Lots to get into today. We've got our friend, Congressman Jody Arrington, out of uh, Lubbock and a huge swath of West Texas, going to, um, I presume, whenever whenever the media interviews die down, he's going to join us here on the program. Talk about the farm bill that has already passed the Senate Pass the House, I think with like 350 votes, big bipartisan effort there uh, from Arrington and Mike Conway, chair of the House Ag Committee. Uh, that's a big reprieve for a lot of folks here. Even though you may not have ever driven a tractor, uh, those folks who drive tractors mean a lot for the local economy. I say this, and I say it, and I say it, and I say it. Every, within a 100-mile radius of Lubbock, cotton is a $5 billion annual economic impact on where you live. If cotton tanks, so do you. Even though you've maybe never even held a bowl of cotton in your hand, it uh, could tank you. Also going to get in on this program with Mike Bazaar, Bazaar Solutions, some uh, tech gadgets that you might want for christmas and then our friend ross ramsey executive editor of the text tribune going to chime in on the program and tell us about what's in store for or what's going on in the texas legislature getting some uh, texas politics as well as beto o'rourke 2020 what that begins to look like beto o'rourke taking taking meetings with former President Barack Obama and others to stage a run in 2020, what that begins to look like. And we've got all that for you coming up here on the program. I was told that Congressman Arrington would join us uh, here right now, and uh, he's not joined us just quite yet. Also, have you seen this thing? We may say this for later in the program. Have you seen this thing about uh, 
California is thinking about taxing text messages and people who text and just putting in a baseline uh, surcharge on cell phone bills for texting. Crazy. I know it's crazy. Some of you are students or history of listen to this program you know that the russians at one time taxed on beards because peter the great didn't want his majesty and his empire represented by beards the romans of long ago sorry to be blunt uh, taxed on urine and uh, you got oliver cromwell who said you know soap it is extravagant to shower too often so he taxed on soap there with the english the japanese have taxed on fat uh this all falls in line but i think falls in line in a bad way these are all empires in the fallen the um people's republic of california could soon fall on this as well and uh doesn't bode well for california to have me sitting here on i can't imagine what the guy on the other side of california has to say right now um with that and but we are going to check in with errington's people and see what they've got going and try to get in with them uh Again, the farm bill passing the Senate and then passing the House today, uh, some would say against all odds. And what that means for you, going to have Arrington call in and uh, our friend Mike Bazaar, followed by Ross Ramsey here on the program. So stick right where you are. More to come as we get in about 90 seconds from now here on your other side. And... Uh, Stick right with us. Cross that old red river. This is what I saw. I saw miles and miles of Texas. All the stars up in the sky. I saw miles and miles of Texas. Gonna live here till I die. Where we rave on. Look, I, I do this with the kids. And I tell them it's kind of a black sheep story, but that's a story here on the high plains is, you know, kids think that what we do every night at dinner are highs and lows. And so many of the lows are, I said this and such in class and people made fun of me. And I say, hey, rave on. And I've used that as a tagline tagline on the program to say, you got to stand out and you got to be different. And it's different based upon the different gifts and the different perspectives that you've been given innately, divinely, shall I say, or not. And you just kind of rave on. And what I tell them is, you think the first time that Buddy Holly, because they all go to the elementary school that Buddy Holly went to, you think the first time he hit that riff that people were pleased with what they heard? And no. But how's that played out over time? 
and they all kind of get a grin on their faces and that's where we rave on um and that's the same with this program we rave on and you may like what you hear you may not but at least it makes you think a little bit and i think that's why the program plays as popularly as it does in the region and throughout the state of texas this segment brought to you by Title One Lubbock's Digital Real Estate and Title Escrow Company. Title One is committed to providing you with the highest level of communication and service from the time the contract opens until it closes. See how Title One can serve your realty, consumer, and lending needs at TitleOne.com. We are headed to the Texas Tech game tonight in we did have a big winner today on our ticket giveaway, and we think uh, it's Candace. That's those are the only notes that I have in front of me is Candace. And I think it's I, I don't know what her last name is. Daniel, you got to help me out with this stuff. Uh, she won three tickets tonight, and. That's uh, where she's going to be tonight is uh, Texas Tech tips off about an hour and 20 minutes from now. There at the uh, United Supermarkets Arena, your number 11 team. Oh, this text just in. Uh, Jack doesn't want to go. He hurt his collarbone at the playground and is sitting with frozen peas on it want to take C with you C being Charlie and uh, we'll see how Charlie responds to me saying no you've got a $10 limit at the uh, concession stands tonight that's what we'll see if uh, that's my response in the next commercial break is is Charlie with a uh, $10 a $10 concession stand buy right there at the United Supermarkets Arena as we kick off this evening. Somebody we want to kick off with right now waiting for Congressman Arrington to come in studio is Mike Bazaar, our friend Mike Bazaar bizarre solutions right here in Lubbock somebody can tell us what the Leesons need I think it's so cute that my Charlie Mike Bazaar he calls uh, marshmallows uh, smushmallows that's awesome and uh, grilled cheese is girl, girl cheese well, they're trying to make it into grilled cheese. Have you seen some of the grilled cheese sandwiches? Yeah. Now? Uh, but before I get in with you, yeah. the aforementioned Congressman yeah. Jody Arrington calling in right now. Uh, Congressman Jody Arrington, how are you? Jay, I'm over the moon. I'm over the I'm moon. Sure I'm sure that you are. And I'm, uh, I got to say, and I'm grateful uh, to the to uh, my colleagues here, and I'm grateful to the folks back home who who always support and encourage and 
trying to do up here for West Texas. Uh, to, 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 to have the Farm Bill pass here in the 11th hour of my first term is a nice capstone to a, to a, to a good, uh, good two-year run up here. And uh, uh, there's not a more important piece of legislation for ag economies like West Texas than the Farm Bill. And um, between the cotton fix and getting the Farm Bill through and, and, and having, having it be a good Farm Bill, uh, this is going to be a great Christmas, especially for farmers and ranchers in in, uh, in rural America. Yeah, for, for it to pass, I mean, earlier in the day there was some some requirement that uh, I can't even remember what it was now, Congressman. It was that uh, you better back uh, Saudi Arabia in its war on Yemen or whatever it was, and then for it to come out at the end, because as I as I left the office today, I thought, man, there's some problems, unexpected problems that you can only get in D.C. But I, it's for me, look, I'm going on TV next week and doing a local spot. I'm not asking you for notes. I'm telling you what I think. <laughs> you guys got the got cotton into Title I. You and Mike Conaway and the whole gang got title one into or you got cotton in the title one uh, back earlier this year and that just carries over to the farm bill is that not the story of the year in the place where we're broadcasting from where cotton means five billion dollars annual economic impact within a hundred mile radius yeah it there's cotton's king and and uh, we we uh, you know we do a lot of different uh, row crops and livestock in Texas and in West Texas and people most of your listeners know that the ag economy in Texas is a hundred billion dollars to the state. Nobody produces more product agriculture product. Nobody exports more ag related products than the great state of Texas, and the majority of that is coming from our part of the country it's coming from west texas and then of course of course uh, texas leads the nation in cotton production and we're the largest cotton patch in the world right there around uh lubbock texas and uh and 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 and, and listen every farmer struggled over the last few years to have 50 percent decline in farm income which we haven't seen since the great depression and to have about 40% increase in, in, in the, our family farmers file bankruptcy over the last few years since about the 2014 Farm Bill, man, times have been incredibly tough. And we've lost some good uh, farmers. And uh, I've gotten calls that are heartbreaking. So this was a do-or-die uh, year for us in terms of getting policies right and plugging that big old gaping hole in the safety net under title one of the farm bill and i'm thankful to chairman conaway you know i'm thankful to to um the majority leader kevin mccarthy i'll never forget being in a meeting with him and they asked me to make the presentation there were several there probably i think 13 uh other members that represented uh some part of the 17 state cotton belt in this country by the way 22 billion dollars 
and uh, over 120,000 uh, people employed in the cotton space and agriculture. And so uh, I'll never forget uh, McCarthy looking over after our presentation and saying, uh, I'm ready. Uh, give me give me the water. Let me carry it with the leadership. Um, and before we knew it, you know, Speaker Ryan and, and the others in leadership were on board. And, and, uh, and so between the, 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 the members uh, growing that member list of folks that were willing to, to vote for it and to push it and the leadership buying into it, uh, it, it it's just, again, I, I feel like it's a, a huge blessing. I, I can only say I'm glad to be a, a small part of it. Mike Conaway was, uh, you know, that's the thing. I walk into this gig. Uh, trying to to, to, to to be a strong voice at the table for West Texas, and 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 the guy that's uh, presiding over that table is our neighbor Mike Conaway from Midland. So, you know, it, it doesn't hurt to have uh, people in high places uh, setting things up for us. But all, overall, the the main, the most important thing is the outcome has been good for West Texas. It's been good for the state of Texas. And it's been great for agriculture, uh, which, as you know, is more than jobs. It is it is national security because it's about food security. And, and, and unless that's ever taken away and we don't have the fluctuation of pricing at the grocery store like we do at the gas station, but if we ever did, that's that'd be probably a top three issue in every presidential race. But 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 it's not. And we spend the least amount in our family discretionary income on food because we've got a, a strong, vibrant ag economy and we've got good ag policies like the ones that we have in this 2018 Farm Bill. Uh, Jody Arrington right here with us on the airwaves. Tell us, Arrington, what you think, excuse me, U.S. Representative Jody Arrington, what, how big was it that back at the beginning of the year that you got cotton into the farm bill you didn't have to fight that fight now we see how tight the fight was now but how you got uh, cotton into you and mike conaway and and the lieutenants got cotton into the farm bill how big is that now as we look back almost nine months later oh it's it's it is hugely strategically important that it happened when it did and as you know because you were in the middle of this in many ways and and you followed it um every step of the way and there was this the bad fortune of texas being a part of the disaster relief package uh because of the hurricane the impacts of the hurricane uh hurricane harvey um and so you had an unusual dynamic where Governor uh, Abbott and folks from the, the state were involved and uh, you know there were just a lot of, uh, uh, of events that were uh, allowing for the stars to align so that we could push it in at the same time though um, we were growing the list of people we had a letter that I think last Congress we got 108 signatures from senators and and and, and uh, House members, 
and that list went to, I think, about 130, and we included Senator Cruz, who, by the way, voted for this farm bill, uh, maybe his first farm bill. I want to I want to say thank you to him, and uh, along with Cornyn and other Texans that, that stood by us on this. But, but yeah, all that with the leadership support, getting the other members to rally, and sort of um, – um, working the new dynamic with the disaster relief to get that in, because we because cotton farmers down in the Corpus area were just pummeled, and that would have been the last straw given all the other uh, challenges that I that I mentioned before. Had we waited, had cotton uh, and the cotton fix been a part of the farm bill negotiations in the conference committee, I, I can't even fathom what that would have done but I don't know that I just don't know wh- how that would have played out maybe uh, we don't get the 18 of the 21 food stamp program reforms maybe we get zero uh, so maybe we have to give away the entire storefront on uh, uh, on the food stamp reform side which would have been which would have you know been very difficult to do I don't think we'd have gotten the votes for that Um um, and maybe we're still debating it at this point. Uh, maybe we have to give away the, the yield updates. Maybe we give away reference prices. Uh, maybe we give away the investment in, in broadband technology. I don't know, but I don't know how it gets done. And then it bleeds over to the new year, and you got Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats writing a farm bill, and it wouldn't be uh, nearly um, – it wouldn't be close to the farm bill we have today, and it wouldn't be something that would be as palatable to the folks in West Texas or myself, quite frankly. So anyway, the cotton fix, having had that uh, resolved prior to us getting into the brass tacks of negotiating this thing in the conference committee, significant and immeasurably significant. And I think uh, Speaker Ryan said that to the conference. I mean, he said, don't if you and he meant he he knew what he was doing he was he i remember him speaking uh, uh, to this point to the conference uh when we were selling it to our other members and he said if we don't fix this now and we wait until it's we're conferencing a farm bill uh we're going to have to give up a whole lot more and it will be things that will cause it might cause us not to get the numbers and uh and worse things will happen. He was right, and everybody helped. And you know, the future for West Texas economy uh, was saved. And and now we've got a great farm bill all together on top of it. So it just it it, it couldn't have been a better outcome, and it couldn't be a, a, a better experience for me in my first two years. So whenever you say, Congressman, that there could have been a worse outcome, what do you mean? Oh, the, the, a worse outcome, uh, there are a lot of scenarios, but the worst scenario would have been having uh, having to punt on getting a farm bill done by the end of the year and having to uh, go through the, the major ordeal of sort of propping up the ag economy um, on a shoestring until the Democrats had a chance to rewrite the farm bill uh, I think it does two things, and, and on the on the policy and substance side, you're you're looking at a farm bill that does 
more for rooftop gardening in urban areas than it does production agriculture in rural areas. I think it's a focus where you have zero reforms to food stamps and you're making cuts to crop insurance and you're making uh, uh, you're making other cuts on the ag side. I mean that that's what we would have looked uh, that those are the things we would have been looking at had we punted on this on the political side and just purely political, I admit. But rural America has been awfully good to um, the Republicans uh, throughout this country, including our president. I don't think we would have a, a president, and I don't think we'd have a United States senator named Ted Cruz if it weren't for places like West Texas. You know, um, those folks that, as Obama said, cling to their guns and their Bible. Well, um, we do because we hold to be very sacred in different ways. And those core foundational conservative values, uh, those bedrock principles that that uh, were there from the beginning, are still alive and well in, in rural areas. And had we as Republicans not delivered on a major omnibus agriculture piece of legislation and and, 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 and abdicated that to the Democrats to lead that, uh, that, that, that would have been a, a, a major political uh, misstep. And I haven't said that publicly because, you know, I think there's so much on the, on the policy and just the, the substantive side that, that, that's good enough reason to finish it and, and make a deal. Uh, but but, but on, the po- on the political side, there are real ramifications because you lose Texas, uh, Texas goes purple or blue, you lose the union, in my opinion. You, you, Texas, the rest of the country, uh, the anchor uh, and the chain snap, and we drift so fast to California uh, and the policies of California and of Europe that, you know, we, we would, uh, our heads would be spinning. So there's a lot at stake that keep Texas red. There's a lot at stake that has allowed us to have a Republican president like President Trump and rural America. Uh, that may be their greatest contribution. I mean, thank rural Americans for Brett Kavanaugh and Neil Gorsuch and and um, and uh, and, uh, and, uh, and more constitutionalists uh, on the courts. Thank them. Thank rural America for for tax relief and regulatory reform that that is, that have, has unleashed this economy to finally grow and create jobs and opportunities. Thank Rural America for a lot of things that uh, we're, we're that we're still able to hold on to, maybe by a thin thread, but we're still holding on to it. But you give all of you give the most important legislation to rural America over to the Democrats. Uh, that may be the that may that may be the stupidest political thing that could have ever come out of this Congress. He is Congressman Jody Arrington. Thank you for making time. I know, I know that you've made that, and I really appreciate this, Congressman Arrington. You've made us priority, and I'm sure that you've got a lot of people standing in line. Uh, and I hope to break this down more in the, the next weeks to come, what this means for rural America. But appreciate you making time, bud. You bet. Always good to talk to you, and, and thanks for covering this, and thanks for your love for, for all things West Texas. 
There he is, Congressman Jody Arrington. Uh, appreciate you. Talk to you next time, bud. Uh, so, to break off from Arrington, let's talk about my next thing of interest here. Mike Bazaar, Bizarre Solutions. Yes, sir. I need you to talk to me about uh, going from a $5 billion annual economic impact into... What's going on in my kids' heads? Mike Bazaar, Bizarre Solutions here. Uh, yeah, let's talk about the iPads and what digital gadgets people yeah. need to be thinking about. So that's the one thing that, I, you know, Christmas is coming, right? So everybody's got all these great ideas, and so I've got some neat ideas, and we'll kind of talk through some of those in a second. But the other thing I think that happens is you get all this new stuff, and your Wi-Fi still sucks. And so you got a new iPad or a new phone or kids have a new computer, you get a new, you know, Apple TV or Roku and it all wants to connect on wireless and then your wireless is just trash. Most consumer wireless, quite honestly, is, falls into the category of trash in my opinion. But one of the big developments that's happened over the last year or two, three, and really caught mainstream this year, they're called Wi-Fi systems. So I don't know if you've heard the Eero was one of the first E-E-R-O that kind of pioneered it. Now Google's on the bandwagon. Linksys has got one. Like all, all the big guys have come out with these systems. And what they are is you put one of the units where your normal router is, right, just like you would have now. And then they've got um, a, a couple of other uh, nodes, they call them, that you put somewhere else around the house. And they've got multiple radios in them, so one of the radios instead of having a wired connection will act as backhaul so you basically need power and that's it and the new Eero ones there's a new gen 2 it's called Eero again it's E-E-R-O actually it just plugs into a socket so it's this little thing that's maybe the size of a deck of cards or smaller and it's just got a plug in the back of it and so you put one near your you know replace your current router and then you plug these things in some other place around your house to extend coverage so you can have no dead spots in your house you get way better wi-fi coverage and the newer ones like google's got one eero those are probably the top two um but um several of them i know those two for sure because i looked them up before we came on they have parental controls which i know is a big deal for you know you guys at your house are us at our house is having parental controls and making sure your kids aren't doing stuff they're not supposed to be doing on the internet on purpose or on accident yeah you know, and I think that's the big thing a lot of people forget is that you can do stupid stuff on accident. And, uh, you know, my kids, one of them was on a YouTube video and ended up two clicks into a horror film. And we've talked about how you use, you know, kid tube and all mm. that stuff. <clears throat> so I would say now these Wi-Fi systems are probably in the 250 to 350 range. So they're a little more expensive. But if you've got somebody who you're going to, you know, dump a few coins for, or if you're getting, you know, your kids a whole bunch of neat Wi-Fi connected gadgets, man, I, I would look at, at getting um, one of these new routers. Like I said, Google's got a really good one. Eero's got one. I know you can get the uh, Google one is on sale at Costco half the time. So if you got a Costco membership, you can swing by and pick one up in no time. Yeah, so you're telling me that's how I address all my problems. That'll get rid of most of your Wi-Fi problems, is this what everybody says. So um, when we built our house, I wired it. So I've got like three access points in my house. So I haven't put one in, but it's because I do all this other stuff. So I have access points we'd put in a business, and they're Can you, though, at Bizarre Solutions, can you put these access points into houses? So we could, we since we do mostly business stuff. I mean, we put them into businesses all the time, right? Um, but most of the access points we're putting in are 
800 to 1000 bucks a piece. So most people don't want them in their house. We've put a couple in with a couple of home theater companies. Yeah, but I'll look at that and I think uh, $1,800. Yeah. To protect my kids' innocence, maybe that's something we shouldn't have done. We should have done before. Yeah. But we didn't. But you can do that. Yeah. Yeah, we could certainly. I mean, if the right right people want to do it, we've done it for some oil so field houses can, and other stuff. You can rewire. <clears throat> yeah, we've done that before. And if we don't, or if it's a big project, we've got a couple guys we work with. So. Yeah. We do a lot of that. So, what kind of gadgets can we look at? So, I think there's a couple here. I'll split them for up. For Christmas. So, I think here's some adult gadgets in terms of just, you know, parents and other people in your life might like those. Um, I honestly never thought I would love my Bose noise-canceling headphones as much as I do, but I took a long-haul flight about a year ago. I got to go to Africa, and it was amazing. But here's the kicker that nobody thinks about. Noise-canceling headphones, man, I use them on the lawnmower. I use them everywhere. And and so not only is it great because they're noise-canceling headphones, but like my ears get ear protection because I have noise-canceling headphones on the lawnmower. Things like that. And so I think noise-canceling headphones, I'm partial to the Bose ones, but Beats and all these guys, there's a bunch of them that make them. Go Google around, you can find some. But if you have an adult in your life that that needs peace and quiet, get them some noise-canceling headphones. The other ones I think that are really cool, we listen to a lot of music in our house, the Sonos smart speakers. They've got some that will work with Alexa. They're supposed to soon work with Google Home as well, so you can choose which one you want. But the Sonos speakers have really great sound. And, again, all you need is, is good Wi-Fi and a power plug. And so I'm really a big fan of the Sonos speakers. Um, Apple TV or Roku, we've got Rokus in our house. The thing I would say with these things when you get into brand-specific, like tablets and those kinds of things, is if somebody has an Apple household, then you want to probably get them an Apple TV. But if they have Android and all the other stuff, an Apple TV probably doesn't fit into that well. So make sure you're not giving somebody with a whole bunch of non-Apple products or somebody who hates Apple or whatever an Apple TV because they won't appreciate it. Um, for kids, there's a couple of cool ones. We got, um, this was last year, so I can I say we got one of our kids. I don't want to, they, they listen when my wife listens. But um, a Kano Computing, it is, if you want to get your kids into coding and other things, um, it'll teach them how to hack Minecraft um, and, and set up their own little things. And it's, it's K-A-N-O, and it's this little PC that they build. It's built off a of Raspberry Pi, uh, but they have to plug in all the parts and build the case, and so it's a little bit fun. Then you just hook it up to your TV instead of a monitor or anything, and it'll it'll has coding lessons and things they can do and tries to make it fun. Um, and so that's a pretty cool one. The other one I've seen a lot of places this year is the Mechanico Robot. And you can get him at Walmart, Amazon, a bunch of places. But he basically builds this little robot, and then you have to learn how to program him to have him do stuff. So if you have a real impulsive kid that doesn't want to sit down and learn, then they're probably not good gifts because they're not going to get instant payoff like popping in Fortnite and killing some guy. But if you've got somebody who likes to, so Luke, my 9-year-old, has said he wants to be an inventor when he grows up. So if he wants to be an inventor, he probably needs to learn how to do code in this day and age. And so stuff like that, I think, are neat ones for him. I would say stay away from smartwatches. I know a lot of people get it. If somebody's asked for it, then great. I think smartwatches, well, two things. I'm personally not a fan because I think they vibrate and interrupt our lives too much, um, more so than phones, right? It's hard to sit there and have a conversation. I had one for a while, and it would buzz, and you would just instinctively look down, and I felt like it was actually really distracting. But at the same time, somebody wants one, you know, do they want, there's Garmin and there's the Fitbit stuff and there's Apple watches and, you know, Samsung's got them and there's mm-hmm. so many breath. Like you want to get one that fits into their ecosystem of stuff. 
So again, you buy somebody an Apple Watch and they've got Android phones, it's basically worthless for them, right? I mean, they can't pair it and use it and do all the other stuff. So if somebody wants it and you know specifically what brand, I don't think it's a bad idea. Um, but otherwise, I, I would I would be careful on those. So other than that, you know, I think there's a lot of the normal stuff, right? Tablets. Um, if you've got kids, I think some of the Amazon tablets are great because two things. Um, they're cheap. <laughs> if you compare it to an iPad, you know, you spend a few hundred dollars on an iPad or you can get an Amazon tablet for 50, 80 bucks. And they can still play Minecraft and most of the games they want, so it's not a big deal. Um, and then Fire tablets also have, uh, Amazon's got a lot of parental controls, like hours that it'll work and everything right out of the box. And you can even set the age on it. So like my kids have that they're not even teenagers yet. So they have access to our Amazon Prime subscription, but only movies that are rated for kids 13 and under. So it automatically gives them this huge library of books and everything else they can do, but it limits it to age appropriate, which I like, without me having to go curate and mess with and approve or disprove. So I think the fire tablets are pretty cool for kids. But Santa's Hills can build all this, right? Yeah. it's. I mean, if you actually went to the North Pole, you'd be amazed at the tech they have up there. Yeah. Just, you know, he's blowing us all away. There we Really? NORAD and, you know, the Pentagon, they they go to Santa Claus for But even tech. then, Mike Bassar, if I've got questions, I can contact you where? Yeah, so give us a holler at... Let's uh, say the elves just kind of slip up a little bit, and I need <laughs> to uh, let... I need to get uh, this tablet under control. Where can yeah. I reach you? Yeah, so give us a holler. It's 806-853-7757 or BizarreSolutions.com. Okay. Thanks, man. I'm trusting you on that. I'm telling you. If the Santa's elves fall apart, I know where I can reach you. <laughs> you know where I live, I think. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, Mike Bazaar, thanks for coming out. And yeah. uh, busy news day here on the program is, you know, the cotton, cotton's back in the farm bill. It is. Hallelujah. Well, yeah. A tech guy like you, you got to appreciate that. We do tech for a couple of cotton gins, so I, I can appreciate, one, how much technology is in a cotton gin, and, and like, the farm bill is a big deal for this area. Well, uh, Congressman Arrington butting into Mike Bazaar's time, but I think you can appreciate that. And uh, we're going to get in with the West, rest of the program. Our friend Ross Ramsey, executive editor of the Text Tribune, coming right up. Daniel is in the house to make sure that all things go well, and they will go well. Won't they, Daniel? Yes. Daniel, won't they? Yes, sir, they will, definitely. Okay. Okay. Uh, That's for my mom. Say more. Um, I'm alive. I'm doing well. Okay. Uh, It was great meeting you the other day. Okay. Uh, Daniel, in the house, and get in with our break here. And get on with more here on your other side of Texas. week we have the executive editor of the text tribune ross ramsey to talk about some of his analyses that's a good way to say he doesn't have to use outright opinion unlike yours truly he just gives you the skinny and uh, that's what we want to get into now ross how are you i'm doing great thanks for having me on again one day i want to be so mature that i write analysis pieces (laughs) 
you know, I, I, I wonder whether they're just putting me out to pasture, not telling me. <laughs> a little, uh, a little <laughs> more honey, a little less vinegar, as uh, you said right. recently. And we'll get into that here in just a moment. But let's start with something that matters in rural Texas, and that's public education. There's been a commission put together in the last legislature. They've been meeting. A final report's going to come out. What are some observations that you've made that you think folks may be interested in hearing? Well, you know, I think, you know, you've got to, when you say school finance, it encompasses so much stuff that everybody gets kind of a different version of what it is that they're trying to do. And, you know, without getting into all of their different versions, I will say that the part of this that they hear about most of the time as elected officials when they're in town hall meetings and from constituents is property taxes. And so the the tenor of the report, you know, they've got a draft of the draft out. They're going to vote on a draft report, as I understand it, a week from today on the 19th, and they're going to try to have a final report, you know, by the time the legislature gets gets going. But, you know, it's weighted toward um, lowering property taxes, and it's not weighted toward what the goal of some other people is, which is to put more money into education and to get our, um, you know, the, to put in money to raise standards to get people better educations and go from there. So, you know, the competing goals are already apparent as we as we start this thing. And I think the governor and the lieutenant governor and the speaker and most of the Republicans are going to be let's get the um, property taxes done, but the House in particular has more interest in putting some more money into education and bringing standards up. And so at this stage, that commission has a bunch of, you know, people from all different corners. None of the House members on the commission have signed off on the on the draft report yet. So this is, um, session hasn't started yet, and this is already kind of interesting. So it is school finance, and you're right people think about their property taxes but they also think about what they're investing in is this usually how these things go as they look at bottom lines before they look at end games you know it depends on who's running the train and who's you know what their concerns are we have a very price sensitive legislature right now and they tend to look at you know if you think about this as business they tend to look at price you know, or to rate price above product. So the first mm. thing for this legislature is how can we get the price down? What's the most bang we can get for the buck? And the focus for some others is, you know, forget the bucks for a minute. Let's talk about the bang and let's get some let's get some better standards and and you know, not just do more with the money that we have, but get some more money in here and maybe improve our education system and you know that's always the back and forth on these things how much can we get done for how much money uh, right now the two complaints that they hear uh, that drive this thing are my property taxes are too high and I don't think my schools are good enough so those are you know those are diametrically opposed in some ways in the legislature and that's why this is so hard to fix yeah I'm always glad that we get new listeners and for listeners who are just familiar with learning about state government and about Texas politics, Ross, let's flesh out a couple of things. One, about 55 cents of, on average, 55 cents of every dollar, property tax dollar, goes towards the schools. And the Well, every, every 50, 55% of the price of school is paid by local districts that are, that are funded by property taxes. The other money, about a dime, comes from the federal government, and about 35 cents comes from the state, which gets its money from 
other taxes, sales taxes, fuel taxes, all kinds of stuff. Okay. Thanks for the clarification. The House, though, routinely, at least this is the way I understand it, and you add some some context, but the House usually is, you've got members who are closer to superintendents, uh, closer to faculty than, say, senators are, who oversee huge swaths area, at least out this way. Uh, so House members hear a lot more from and may be heed a lot more of what school officials are telling them. You know, senators have more, have larger and more diverse districts, so they don't get you know, like pinpoint uh, directions from their local from their local districts. There's 150 House districts in the state. There's 31 Senate districts, and a senator might have somebody who's concerned about you know item one, but he also probably has he or she also has somebody concerned about item two and item three. The House member might just have item one, so sometimes they're a little bit more single shot and the Senate's a little bit more scattered. The um, and and the other thing is that the House at this moment is a little bit less um, conservative in some ways than the Senate is. The senators tend to be from the social conservative end of the Republican Party. That's not true of each one of them, but you know this is a very conservative Senate, and in some ways it's more from that branch of the Republican Party than the House is, and you see some differences there too. Yeah. Uh, Ross, last thing here, get more money in here. That's the feeling of some of them who may be worried about the bang and not the price. Where would that new money come from off the top of your head? You know, there's a couple of places to look here. You know, one of the things that's interesting is that the controller uh, put out this annual report, and most of the time nobody notices it, and this time they all looked at it and said, wow, what's that? It's called, it has the enticing name of tax exemptions and tax incidents. And it's basically a list of all of the tax breaks that are built into current tax law. And some of these are things that you might not like, and some of these are things that everybody likes. You know, for example, one of these cutouts is we don't pay sales taxes for our groceries or for our medicine. Um, but it goes through this list, and it finds that there's about $60 billion, billion with a B, dollars in annual tax exemptions, cutouts, all of those kinds of things. And it might be that you could find new money just by changing some of those what's exempt and what's not exempt anymore. Um, and so I think one of the places that they'll look at is the, the current exemptions and current tax law. You could get money out of those without actually raising tax rates or increasing taxes from people who already pay them. Of course, the downside of that is that you've got to create a tax or take away a break that someone is already enjoying. So. It's, it's got plenty of fight in it, but when you look at the range of alternatives, that may be one of the more attractive ones. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, you get a uh, Ross Ramsey piece at texastribune.org. Let's talk about one of those pieces. Let's talk Beto 2020. <laughs> you know, it's hard to believe we're already talking about 2020. I guess we were talking about 2020 before 2018, before the 2018 election was over. Um Julian Castro is now in the race. Beto is talking about being in the race. Um, you know, the other candidates from Texas that, that might be interested in the presidency are kind of boxed out right now because the Republican uh, Party already has a president. But, you know, if they didn't, you know, we might hear from the likes of Rick Perry again or from Ted Cruz again. But for now, it's all Democrats that are jumping into this thing. And... You know, I was I was looking at this the other day, talking about the Beto thing. He's been meeting. He met with Obama 
he met with he's been meeting with a bunch of people talking about what if I did run how would this work blah 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 he's been very soft about it hasn't committed to running but hasn't ruled it out Castro on the other hand now says he's uh, exploring he's in the sort of you know how these things go in baby steps it's like I'm going to announce that I might announce that I might be thinking about maybe running you know and they're going through that dance and Castro's already got a you know letterhead and press releases coming out and it says exploratory committee on the top so I started looking at the experience of these guys because you know we're getting a lot of candidates uh, O'Rourke is a classic example who when you look at their resume it's really not that deep and you know you look at some other people who might run or you know who have run in the past and you think you know George w, George H W Bush for example who we've been looking at a lot you know since his death a few days ago had one of the longest most expansive resumes of any president certainly in modern history and you know probably in all of history and now we're talking about new candidates who include Beto O'Rourke and include a number of others who, when you compare the length of the resumes, you know they, they could fit theirs on a postcard, and George Bush needed a ream of paper. Um, so it's just an interesting, you know, just an interesting contrast that doesn't disqualify anybody. If you look at Donald Trump's political resume mm -hmm. and Barack Obama's political resume, you know, any number of people, um, a lot of people applying for that top job. Um, don't come in with what look like on paper a lot of qualifications. And that's intriguing because, as you point out in the piece, it seems that George H. W. Bush was the exception more than the rule, so far as qualification is concerned. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, you know, there have been presidents that you looked at and you said, you know, this is somebody who was eminently qualified for the job. They did this and they did that and they did the other thing. Um, but in some ways, you know, part of what leadership is isn't necessarily, you know, I, I, you know, know how to fix the engine. I know how to change the tire. Some of it is just, look, I know how to point the car. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, but it was interesting, and it was a high, it was a, it was a big contrast. It just stuck out because we were talking about um, the first President Bush, and then looking at this field of candidates, and it just seemed, you know, after you look at a resume like his and a and a life in public service like that. And then you look at the current crop, you know, there's an easy contrast. Yeah. What's intriguing to me is how those two, Beto O'Rourke and Donald Trump, would stand on the stage. And if Beto can be made of Teflon, kind of like Trump was made of Teflon there in that uh, primary. You know, there's no way to know. I mean, one of the things that's interesting to me about presidential races in particular, it's true of political races generally, but it's really true of presidential races, is that surviving a presidential race is has become an essential component of being an effective president it teaches you it, it teaches you how to do it and how to survive in that kind of an environment on one level on the other level you have to prove yourself you got to live through all kinds of things people really on a level that they don't in any other political race people really look at what you're about what your qualifications are you know, and it's almost never the case, if you think about it, that, um, or it's rarely the case when you think about it, that a president does something in office that you look at and say, well, I never expected something like that out of that person. By the time you've elected them or that somebody else has elected them, you know, whichever side you're on, it's pretty clear of what kind of person you're getting in office, and then you just play it out. Yeah, through the whole season. Hey, let's go back to uh, more honey and less vinegar for a little bit. The Texas House <laughs> is changing, or at least it's getting a reboot. 
Uh, for those who we've described the dynamics in the Senate and the House, but for the House itself, things going to look totally different now? Or are they going to look a little bit different, or a little bit the same as we transition uh, you know, from I, Joe Strauss to presumably Dennis Bonin? I think that last version that you said is probably the closest one. I think they're going to look a little bit different and a little bit the same. You know, a lot of the people that Dennis Bonin has hired um, – in his, you know, run up to, you know, he's going to be the speaker unless something weird happens, um, are people that you could imagine probably Joe Strauss would have hired. Um, Dennis Bonin gets put in with a different set of votes, so nobody's going to be able to say he won this office with all of the Democrats and just a few Republicans. It's clear that he has enough Republicans to win whether he had Democrats or not, and he's got most of the Democrats. So, you know, he's going to come in as um, – a little bit um, different from Strauss in that way, at least in the initial perception. And then he's going to start putting the House together, and we'll see when we see his committee assignments and who he puts on his leadership team and how this goes, just how much this is different from Strauss and how much it's the same as Strauss. At the same time, you know, the House and the Senate both are coming in after an election that told everybody, you know, something that they hadn't heard in a long time, and it was you know, depending on who you talk to, you get different versions of this, but it was clear voters were not happy with some of the incumbents and that a lot of the Republicans who got reelected got reelected by smaller, much smaller margins than they're used to. And I think they're going to be looking at those votes and saying, you know, what were the voters trying to tell me? How should I act differently? And in a number of races, you know, we, we saw a change where districts that have been safe for Republicans were no longer safe. And so they have to pay attention to general election voters in a way that they hadn't been. You know, if you were running in a Republican, a safe Republican district in Texas, you got to worry about your March Republican primaries, and you have to be careful not to get caught there. But if you survive that, you're probably fine. And in this election, that wasn't necessarily true. You have to survive your March primaries and make the Republicans or the Democrats happy. And then you have to get to a general election and get, make enough of the voters who weren't in your primary happy to get elected, and I think that changes the way these people govern. Yeah, let's talk about one thing there, something that Uncle Bonham brought up in his trip to Lubbock last week, right at the fundraising deadline. Um, and that's, I don't mean anything by that, but the, you know, what fundraising ended on Saturday, right? Right. Okay. And right. So he got that's the here. beginning of a blackout, you know, during the session they can't raise money. And I'm sure that he was glad that he got here and was able he, – then he went up to Amarillo. I hope he flew out of Amarillo or he got caught in about 10 inches of snow here. But um, <laughs> he said in the room that, in, of course, Pete Laney, for, Pete Laney, former Speaker of the House, was present, that he wanted to run the House like Pete Laney, which I'm sure some younger Republicans raised their eyebrows at, but – by all accounts, Pete Laney did a pretty spectacular job running the House. You know, the marker on Laney was that, you know, members felt like he let them run, uh, you know, let them do what they wanted to do. They weren't, for the most part, spending their time worried about Laney's agenda. He let them work on their own agenda and kind of, you know, kept the House in line, kept things running. Uh, he did some subtle things that that were very important to the process with the rules you know made it um, much more difficult to stall something until the end of a session and still get it into law which used to be one of the regular tactics did a lot of things like that but you know I think the overall takeaway from a lot of members were that 
he did a very good job of letting members do whatever it was they came to Austin wanting to do. You know, this one wanted this thing and that one wanted that thing, and they didn't feel like the speaker was in their way. And I think the other thing he did pretty well was he ran, you know, I always call this the protection racket. Uh, he ran a pretty good protection racket, and that that's the part of being a presiding officer, whether you're a speaker or a lieutenant governor or a majority leader or whatever the heck you are. It, he did a very good job of protecting the members of the House from voting on things that um, they didn't really want to vote on. Sometimes there are things that if they get out into public and you have to vote, you have to vote for the hot public sentiment of the moment, even if you think it's a bad idea. And, you know, the bathroom bill last session was a really good example of this. A lot of members didn't want to vote on it, but knew that if they did vote on it, they'd have to vote, you know, for it and didn't think it was a good piece of legislation. Because they run every two years. Right. And they didn't want to go home and say, you know, I voted against that because it's bad policy in spite of what you wanted. So Joe Strauss stepped in, and, you know, Pete Laney was really good at this. Joe Strauss basically stepped in and said, you know, somehow that didn't get to the floor. We didn't have to vote on it. And it protected the members from it, ran a pretty good protection racket. Yeah, I've, I'm sitting here, got the uh, the piece in my hand, and what I thought about whenever you're talking about what's happened in the suburbs, Ross, is this just that redistricting is about to come about and the old maps have gotten worn out and they're going to go back in and carve them back out to a party's liking is it that the that the maps have changed or is it just growth altogether you know the the composition of different places has changed you know people move to the suburbs for this reason or that reason and then the suburbs begin to change and in, and in texas the older suburbs are becoming more like cities you know more like the cities they're more diverse they've got uh, they're more economically diverse more racially diverse uh, they've got all kinds of different kinds of housing. Uh, they've got particular problems that arise in suburbs that don't arise in cities. You know, suburbs often don't have the same kind of tax base. They don't have the big commercial center or the big industrial center that cities often have. And so some of the older suburbs are changing. And as they change demographically and economically, their politics change. And what was a safe district for a Republican when they drew these maps in 2010 might not be safe anymore. And, you know, some of these districts have gotten really big. You know, when they draw these maps, they, they put the same number of people in each one of those districts. And by the time you get to the end of a census period, you know, some districts will be twice as big as others because yeah. people move to certain places and out of others. Yeah, 10 years later. Hey, uh, we're going to get out on a break and uh, stick right with us. Ross Ramsey, thank you, as always, for making time. Always a pleasure. We'll talk to you next week. All right. As we close out this edition of Other Side, we want to thank our friends at Lubbock File Room, who provide safe and secure document storage and shredding services, not just for providing those services, but for sponsoring the show. Lubbock File Room has been providing these services to Lubbock since I was a boy in 1992. For a free and hassle-free estimate, give them a call at LubbockFileRoom.com, 806-744-7666. See what I did? I seamlessly tied in LubbockFileRoom.com. You know, the Romans taxed urine. Uh, the English 
couple of centuries ago under Oliver, Oliver Cromwell. And by a couple, I mean three. Tax soap, you can't be too clean, thought the Cromwell crowd. The Russians have taxed beards throughout the centuries, Japanese fat, and now, well, it also bears a mention that uh, the English, and this may be shades of what's to come, the English in the U.S. colonies, the American colonies, at least, tax tea. If you didn't think things could get any worse, California says, hold my purified water and watch this. This, <coughs> excuse me, from the San Jose Mercury News.com. Texting your sweetheart on the, your way home? California may soon charge you for that. This is no LOL matter, critics say. State regulators have been ginning up a scheme to charge for text messaging on mobile phones to help support programs that make phone service accessible to the poor. The wireless industry and business groups have been working to defeat the proposal now scheduled for a vote next month by the California Public Utilities Commission. First thought, and this is me talking now, not the Mercury News, first thought to be a funny idea has now gained steam and is seriously being considered. Listen, you talk to people like my wife, my all-star, all-world realtor wife. She talks to at least a couple of people a month, if not more, from California, moving out of California. Why? Because they don't want to be taxed on their beards or for their soap or urine or tea. Or text messages, as it seems. Jim Wonderman, president of the Bay Area Council business-sponsored advocacy group, said, quote, it's a dumb idea. This is how conversations take place in this day and age, that through text messages, and it's almost like saying there should be a tax on those conversations. I don't disagree. I mean, how far can California go? How low is the bar? I'm not sure. What I found really funny at the end of the story, again, this is all to help pay for cell phones for the poor. And I don't know what kind of rallying call there is for that in this country. Um, I know that there are four poor kids at my house, comparatively speaking to me and my wife, who will not get cell phones. I don't care what kind of taxes are put up. And what kills me about this is that it's a straw man for Republicans. You know, the old adage is uh, self-comparison is the death of true self-appreciation. There will be Republicans just watch in this state. And if Democrats were in power, they would do the same thing, who say, well, at least we aren't California for the most abysmal policy so far. School finance. We were just talking with Ross Ramsey about school finance and what that can mean for the state to not bring in more money. They can always point back to voters and say, at least they could before 2018, to say, hey, at least we aren't asking for tax money on text messages to pay for public school funding. Asked him, and I go back to the Mercury News. Asked about the idea after he checked his text messages in downtown San Jose, Juan Gutierrez, 25, who works for a delivery service 
said it sounded quote absurd quote California just doesn't stop trying to get money out of you Gutierrez lamented what's next what's next is Texas and uh, we'll see what happens with that so for our friend Mike Bazaar for Congressman Jody Arrington for Ross Ramsey I want to conclude this edition of Other Side of Texas and tell you gonna get home gotta get home because I got a race from home to the United Supermarkets Arena with the twins we're gonna watch Tech our number 11 vaunted Texas Tech Red Raiders do it to it tonight hope that uh, you got tickets and that you're doing the same at least you're on your way to the game now until next time, my friends, rave on, buddies, rave on.